0: Welcome to 20-Minute Bible Study, a podcast from Faith on Hill Church in Milwaukee, Oregon. My name is Adam, and while I start the timer, would you turn your Bible to the book of Exodus, chapter 4? And with 20 minutes on the clock, let us begin here. Now, last time... Moses encountered God in the burning bush it's one of the most well known it's it's like mount rushmore of well known bible studies and now he is taking what God has told him to go and to deliver God's people, the children of Israel, from slavery in the land of Egypt, and he is now getting that in order. So verse 18, chapter 4, the book of Exodus says, then Moses went back to Jethro, his father-in-law, and said to him, let me return to my own people in Egypt to see if any of them are still alive. Now that's kind of a staggering thought. It's been decades, maybe 40 years that Moses has been away. He has no idea. In fact, last time when God tells him that he has already told, uh, God has already told Moses's brother Aaron to come see Moses in the land of Midian, that might be the first news he's had of anyone in his family or anyone that he knew. It's the first he's heard of any of his people. And now he goes to his father-in-law, Jethro, and he says to him, let me return to my own people. Let me go back, see if any of them are still alive. Jethro said, go, and I wish you well. Now the Lord had said to Moses in Midian, go back to Egypt, for all those who wanted to kill you are dead. So Moses took his wife and sons and put them on a donkey and started back to Egypt. And he took the staff of God in his hand, So God tells Moses there are those who did want to kill him back in Egypt. If you remember, Moses had tried to deliver his people in his own strength, and he had been rejected by his people as a deliverer. He had murdered an Egyptian slave driver. And so he was a wanted man, but apparently the heat is off. It's very possible that the reason God tells him this is a fear in his own heart. I have found that God tells us things for a reason. If you find that God is speaking to you, whether it's through reading God's word, whether it's through prayer, whether it's you just keep hearing the same message over and over again in conversations and in, and in uh, however it is God's speaking to you. I've had God speak to me in so many different ways through so many different venues. If you keep getting the same message over and over again, it's for a reason. And if God's speaking to this, it's because maybe Moses' hesitancy when he's at the burning bush isn't from a doubt in himself, but it's from a fear of what happens when he goes back. He takes the staff of God in his hands. So even though he has fear, he is obedient. He's taking the staff that God told him to bring. He is taking what God has given him and he's being obedient. Now, verse 21 says, The Lord said to Moses, When you return to Egypt, see that you perform before Pharaoh all the wonders that I have given to you, the power to do, and I will harden his heart so that he will not let my people go. Then say to Pharaoh, this is what the Lord says. Israel is my firstborn son, and I told you to let my son go so that he may worship me. But you refuse to let him go, so I will kill your firstborn son. That's a hard thing to read. This is one of those things that deals with the end result, but there's a process that gets us there it might be that you read this or hear this and say, that's unfair. God wants Pharaoh to let his people go. But then in this verse, it says that God hardens Pharaoh's heart. So if God hardened Pharaoh's heart, how could Pharaoh do what God wanted? Let's leave a pin in that. Let's come back to that because there is a process that gets us there. And it may not be exactly what you think. That being said, The idea is that when he gets there, this is what's going to happen. Don't be surprised. Remember what I said a minute ago. If God tells you something, it's for a reason. God's telling Moses, when you get there, Pharaoh is not going to listen to you at first. Pharaoh is not going to let you go. It's going to get intense. There's a reason God warns us of things ahead of time. Now, the next few verses are some of the strangest in the Bible. I do not claim to fully understand this part of the Bible. I believe all of the Bible is equally true, but not all of the Bible is equally clear. I don't know who came up with that originally. I know who I first heard it from, but I know that they didn't come up with it. But whoever coined that phrase, I'm so thankful for because it's given me um, an understanding of these things in a better way. All of the Bible is equally true, but not all of the Bible is equally clear. Verse 24, at a lodging place on the way, so they are traveling from Midian back to Egypt. At a lodging place on the way, the Lord met Moses and was about to kill him. Wait, what? God has told Moses to go back to Egypt. Moses is doing what God has told him. He's brought the staff with him. He's stepping out even though he has fear. And then he goes and he stops at a lodging place, whether that's a desert or an oasis or a small town, uh, somewhere along the trade routes where you could stop and rest and there's a well or something. And then God wants to kill him. And the Lord appears to him. And it's not the angel of the Lord or a messenger or, an, or, or something like this. Is, it says God appeared to him and wants to kill him. This is weird. Verse 25 gets weirder. But Zipporah took a flint knife and cut off her son's foreskin and touched Moses' feet with it. Surely you are a bridegroom of blood to me, she said. So the Lord let him alone. At that time, she said bridegroom of blood referring to circumcision. Okay. I am not a Hebrew scholar. I've taken some Hebrew classes in school. I can read the guys who are. I don't claim to understand everything is going on here. But the scholars that I've read indicate that they don't know exactly what all this means. From context, the indication is, is that Zipporah has circumcised their son, taken the foreskin and thrown it. When it says touched his feet, I'm thinking what happened is she threw it at his feet and then, you know, says this whole thing in in anger. Do we know what's going on here? No. I mean, we know what happened. Moses' son gets an unexpected surgical procedure. Do we know why? Do we know all of the specifics? We don't it is dangerous, foolish to start to build doctrine or beliefs on parts of the Bible that are vague or obscure. Incidentally, that's what cults do. They take some random, obscure, unclear part of the Scripture and then build their whole belief system around it, emphasizing one part over everything else. That's always a danger sign. That's always a red flag. Now, since we don't know everything about it, what do we do? It's like in life. One of the things that uh, I try to remember, a pastor that I, I served with, this was one of his maxims, and I believe it's true, When you are uncertain, focus on the things that you are sure of. When you don't know which way you're supposed to go, go back to the last time that you did know which way you're supposed to go. I can focus on the things that I'm unsure of, or I can focus on the things that I am sure of. I am sure that God is involved in this situation somehow. I am sure that God apparently was satisfied with the outcome. So it's not unreasonable to think that what's going on is that Moses had not observed the covenant of circumcision that God had given to his forefather Abraham that was to be observed by all Jewish men. And no doubt it would have been far, far easier for Moses' son had Moses observed the custom and had him circumcised on the eighth day as opposed to whenever it was, however old he was when it happened. So that's what I've choose to focus on with this story. It's better to do things God's way the first time than to have to deal with the messy consequences later on. And when I am unsure about something in the scripture I try to focus on the things that I am sure about. The one other thing I like about this story, and there is something I like about this story, I like that it's messy, both literally and figuratively. I like that we have mystery surrounding it. I like that it makes us uncomfortable. Because if your Christian faith or my Christian faith or if our understanding of the Word of God is based around something safe and something comfortable, and something that appeals to us. We have to understand that that's never how Jesus was. Jesus made religious people uncomfortable. Jesus called the sinner to go and sin no more. I always want people to feel welcomed in church, I always want people to feel loved in church. But if somebody says, I don't know if I'll feel safe or comfortable in church, my prayer is that I'm never feeling 100% safe or 100% comfortable, not with people. I want church to be a safe place, but with me and God. I don't want to think that I have God all figured out or all boxed in. And I think there's something positive to that. Verse 27, the Lord said to Aaron, go to the wilderness to meet Moses. And so he met Moses at the mountain of God and kissed him. And then Moses told Aaron everything the Lord had sent him to do to say and also about all the signs that he had commanded him to perform. Moses and Aaron brought together all the elders of the Israelites and Aaron told them everything that God had said to Moses. He also performed the signs before the people. And they believed. And when they had heard that the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshipped. So, Aaron meets Moses along the way. They gather together, and then when they get to Egypt, Aaron gathers all of the elders of the people of Israel, and they hear what's going on, and they begin to worship because God has seen them. I suggested, I speculated a few episodes ago, that it is possible that God moved when he did because it was the first time that his people collectively had cried out to him. And now they are seeing an answer to prayer. But remember this as we go into the next few chapters with how the people then respond when things get hard. God answered their prayer. God responded to their misery. God responded to their suffering. And then when things got hard or God didn't work the way that they wanted him to or expected him to, they lost faith. I was talking to uh, my kids the other day, and they were disappointed that something hadn't happened. And I said, we never said that that was going to happen. You came up with that idea in your head, and then you kept repeating it as if it absolutely would happen, and it was never going to happen. And then when it didn't happen, that's when you were disappointed. And we do the same thing with God. We get these ideas about who God is or what God is supposed to do or how things are supposed to look. And that's never what the Bible says. It's never what the Christian faith has proclaimed. And then we're disappointed because this thing that we came up with wasn't how God has always represented himself. One of the things that I say a lot around Faith on Hill is if you come to church for any reason other than Jesus, you will be disappointed. And I think this is along the same lines. If you expect God to do everything your way and in your timing and in your way of seeing the world, you're just going to be disappointed. I would say that the majority of my spiritual disappointments in life have been that way. And maybe even some of my like emotional or existential or physical disappointments in life have been because I expected something that God never promised. And the danger could be also that we buy into teaching. I'm in a class in in school, you know, I'm working on a a theology degree and um, I'm in a class in school that the lecture that I was, had to listen to for this class was recorded 20 years ago. And I was cringing the whole time because the lecture wasn't about what was actually being said in the part of the Bible that the professor was teaching on, but it was about what was going on in that cultural moment within the American church. And I thought over the last two decades of people that I have known that have been disappointed in their Christian faith because the cultural ideas of humans didn't work out. And if we had just stuck to what was actually being said in that part of the Bible, we would have had less heartache because we wouldn't have been disappointed because there were things that God never promised or never told us to do. Verse one, chapter five says: Afterwards, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, "This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says: Let my people go, so that they may hold a festival in the wilderness." Now, Moses's goal is to get the people out of slavery in Egypt. He doesn't want them just to get away so they can have some sort of um, creation fest or um, some sort of encounter weekend. He wants them out of Egypt. So the question, fairly, is: Is Moses lying? Maybe. Lying is never, uh, let me rephrase this here. Lying, generally speaking, nine times out of 10 is never good. And then there's always the hypothetical. Well, what if you're hiding Jews from the Nazis in Holland during World War II? Would you lie then? Of course I would. It's ridiculous. Did Harriet Tubman ever lie to somebody about what she was doing? I'm sure she did. So, I'm not going to hold it against Moses if he's just saying, hey, uh, you know, we just want to go away for the weekend so we can get out of here. He's trying to set people free from systematic, institutionalized slavery and oppression. So, if he's lying, no problem. It's also conceivable that what this is doing is showing the intentions of Pharaoh. Verse 2 Pharaoh said, who is the Lord? Now remember when the word Lord is all caps in your Bible, what he is saying is Yahweh or Jehovah. Moses has come to him and said, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. I said that out of order, but you know what I mean. That he has commanded you to let his people go. And Pharaoh says, who is Yahweh? Who is Jehovah? Who is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Who is the God of Joseph? that I should listen to him, that I should obey him and let Israel go. I do not know Yahweh, and I will not let Israel go. Then they said, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Now let us take a three-day journey into the wilderness to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God, or he may strike us with plagues or with the sword. But the king of Egypt said, Moses and Aaron, why are you taking the people away from their labor? Get back to your work. Then Pharaoh said, look. The people of the land are now numerous and you are stopping them from working. So they come and they think, oh, God's brought us our deliverer. God's raised up Moses, who we thought was dead, but he's back. And he'll tell Pharaoh and he's going to deliver us. And then Pharaoh says, no. Remember, this wasn't God hardening his heart yet. This is Pharaoh's attitude. Who is God that I should listen to him? And as our time comes to an end for this episode, that is the ultimate question. Who is God that we should listen to him? The Christian faith proclaims that Jesus Christ is the fullness of God in humanity. That God became a man fully God and also fully human, that he lived a perfect life, that he proved his authority through his teaching and through his miracles, and he was rejected, not just by the religious Jews, but by all people. The Romans executed him. And when his followers proclaimed his resurrection from the dead, every one of them was put to death, was imprisoned, was rejected as well. Who is God that I should listen to him is the ultimate question all of us have to ask. God is trying to deliver his people, Israel, out of slavery in Egypt. God wants to deliver us from slavery, from sin and death. I pray that all of us would say, Jesus is God and I will listen to him. We'll see you next time as we continue our study through the Bible on 20 Minute Bible Study.